1: To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now, here's our Bible
2: teacher, Tom Cantor. As the hymn says, Jesus, and shall it ever be, a mortal man ashamed of thee, Ashamed of thee whom angels praise, whose glory shine through endless days? Ashamed of Jesus, that dear friend, on whom my hopes of heaven depend? No, when I blush, be this my shame, that I no more revere his name. Ashamed of Jesus, yes I may, when I've no guilt to wash away, no tear to wipe, no good to crave, no fears to quell, no soul to save, till then, nor is my boasting vain till then. And oh, may this my glory be, that Christ is not ashamed of me. So when the Lord said in verse 26, gain the whole world, he's referring to a a choice between really anything and Christ. It's very simply put in Deuteronomy 6.5, Deuteronomy 6.5. Deuteronomy 6.4 says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. But Deuteronomy 6.5 says, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Heart, soul, might. So Christ is calling for all the love that a heart can give, all the willpower that a soul can give, and all the strength that a body has. Now, all those things are limited. They're limited. My love is limited. My willpower is limited. My strength is limited. And I need to spend time, we need to spend time thinking about exactly on what we will spend our limited love, willpower, and strength on in our life. As a matter of fact, the days of our life are are limited, and we need to think about what we're going to spend our short life on. I have a neighbor in Loretto. Every time I ask this, Chris, how are you? He always has the same answer. He says, today I woke up on the right side of the grass, he says. So I'm doing great. There's a lot to think about in that answer. We only have so many days on the upper side of the grass, and the question is, what are we going to do with those limited days? What are you gonna do is limited days on the upper side because soon we're gonna be on the lower side of the grass. And the Lord Jesus referred to the lower side of the grass as what he called the night, the night in John 9, 4. John 9, 4, when he said, I must work the works of him that sent me wild as day. The night cometh when no man can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So when the Lord Jesus says these words, cometh as the night cometh, and he says, as long as, as long as I am in the world, it shows he's very conscious of the limited amount of time that he has on earth. It it reminds me of when I I got certified and I, I was taught how to scuba dive and how my diving buddy, very important, and how we had to each all the time check how much air we each had in our tanks, in our scuba tanks. And then we had to signal it to each other how much air we had, you know, you did this with your fingers. You know, you think this finger, you put that means 1,000 PSI. That means 2,000 PSI when you're under the water. This means 100 PSI. That means 200 PSI. That means 300, 400. So if you only had 1,200 PSI, you went 1,200. That meant you had 1,200 PSI. All the time doing this, constant check the air pressure gauge and constant signaling to the other person how much air you had left. Because whatever work you were going to do, whatever you were going to do down there, you had to get it done before the air ran out, obviously, so you had to always be conscious how much air you had left. Life is like scuba diving. Life is like scuba. there's a limited amount of air in our life tanks and and only God sees the air pressure gauge and determines how many days we have left in our life. But God wants us to be aware that there's a limited number of days of our life because one day, it's going to be out. And that's what Jesus was saying in John 9, 5, John 9, but it was as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So God wants us to have the same mentality, the same thoughts in the back of our minds, which is why Moses asked God to help him keep his mind on the fact that there is an air pressure gauge for his life. When he said in Psalm 90, verse 10, Psalm 90, verse 10, the day's... Of our years are three score and ten. And if by reason of strength they be four score, yet is their strength labor and sorrow for it is soon cut off and we fly away. And then verse 12, Psalm 90, verse 12. Psalm 90, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. So Moses said, normally a person lives about 70 years old. So right now I'm pushing the envelope. And if he's strong, he lives 80 years. Right now Sam and Betsy are really pushing that envelope. My wife died at 67. She died when she was 67 years old. She was healthy. She was very healthy. Oh, she was the one going down to Sprouts and was organic. Oh, oh, it was a green. Oh, that was her. You know, very, very healthy. UCSD recently just sent me a, a brief summary just so I could be encouraged. You know, of my medical history. You know, pharyngitis from you know five times of being intubated. Non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Subdural hematoma, brain bleed, unstable angina, seven coronary stents, coronary lithotripsy, angioplasty, atrial fibrillation, hypertension, a TIA, four ablations of the heart, two cardioversions, rotator cuff repair, an accidental heart medication overdose. Oh, yeah, that's true. Face maker insertion, kidney cyst drainage. Apart from that, I'm fire. Nothing. <laughs> So when my son called one of our colleagues to tell him that Cheryl had died, he said, no, no, wait a minute, you mean Tom, right? (laughs) (laughs) So Moses asked God in Psalm 90, verse 12, teach us to number our days, that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. That means to ask God to remind us that we only have a certain limited amount of tank in our scuba tank, the air in our scuba tanks, and only God is looking at the gauge, but there is a gauge. And every day, God looks at the gauge for our lives, and he asks, I know how many days he has life. He doesn't. I wonder what he's going to use today on. I wonder what he's going to spend his day on. And so God looked at, at one man's gauge, and, and he saw he only has one, he doesn't know. He only has one day left to live. And when the Lord looked at what he was spending his time on, the Lord said, fool, in Luke twelve sixteen, Luke twelve sixteen, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, this will I do. I will pull down my barns, build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then who shall those things be which thou hast provided? So hath he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. See, that man was spending his time with the subject of how much he could gain, how much he could protect what he gained. It was all about how much. And that's what he was using, his limited amount of what God talked about in Deuteronomy 6, 5, love, resolve, and strength. He only had, as we all do, a limited amount of love, resolve, and strength, and he was using it for that. And to apply our hearts to wisdom is to follow Christ and focus our love, resolve, and strength on Christ. And when we're in the world, to have this mentality of John 9, 5, John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Life is all about, life is all about how much, it is. Life was all about how much for Christ also, but his how much was how much could he be a light into a dark world? That was his how much. So when Christ said in verse 26, what is a man profited if he gained the whole world and loses his own soul? What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He meant, what's the value of using your limited amount of love, resolve, and strength to gain? I mean, if you could gain all the riches of the world and all the applause of the world, the whole world would stand up and and clap for you. And if you could have all the pleasure of the world, if at the end you have to give up your soul for it, you lose your soul? You know, Ray Romano, the stand-up comedian, became a star in his TV show, Everybody Loves Raymond, and he became very successful, very high-paid. And after he completed the filming of his final episode of Everybody Loves Raymond, he walked out on the set there and he spoke to the studio audience, the studio audience there, and he told them that nine years before, he moved from New York to Hollywood, and when he did that, his older brother, put a note in his luggage. And the note wrote, Ray, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And Ray Romano said this to their studio audience, and Ray Romano started to cry. And he said, now it's time for me to work on my soul. So the Lord Jesus, when he said in John 9, 5, John 9, 5, as long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world, he was talking about how much. And real life is about how much. Real life is not about how much we can get. Real life is about how much we can give. Real life is not how much we can be loved. Real life is how much we can love others. Real life is not about how much others serve us. Real life is how much we can serve others. And real life is not about how much we can make heads turn toward us. Real life is how much we can make heads turn toward Christ like Burt Pool's song, only a while till my courses run, only a while till the set of sun. So now the Lord Jesus asks another question again, help to make the right decision. And this question could be viewed from two perspectives when he said in verse 26, verse 26, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul, in exchange for his soul? Now the two perspectives here are the question of what can a person give in exchange for his soul while he's alive? And the second way you can look at this is what can a man give in exchange for his soul after he's died, after he has exhausted his limited amount of love, resolve, and strength? What can a man give in exchange for his, while he's alive, his limited amount of love, resolve, and strength? And what can a man give after he dies, after he has exhausted, he doesn't have any more love, Result strength. So the Lord is saying that the world is in an opposition to God. So it's going to be get the world and lose God or lose the world and get God or get the world and lose the soul or lose the world and save your soul. So what the Lord is asking here in verse 26 is based on, again, a man's choice. It's your choice. You turn to God or you turn away from God. He's talking about man's choice in verse 26. To try to gain the world, lose God, or then lose a soul, or gain God, lose the world, save a soul. So, what the Lord is saying here is that to turn a deaf ear to Christ, who's calling to come to him, is a choice that every person can make. It's a choice that God has given to each person to make. God does not make that choice for any person. Please do not believe that God makes a choice for a person. God does not predestinate, elect, or predetermine the choice of a person of whether or not that person is gonna to come to Christ or not come to Christ. God's just too great, too honest, and too good to do that. So this is looking at the Lord's question, first of all, from the perspective during a lifetime. What could possibly be worth getting temporarily whatever it is and then lose the soul for eternity? What could be worth it? But the other perspective to apply to is after death. After a person has died, and he doesn't want to lose his soul in eternity, and we have examples of that in Matthew 7, people coming and saying, Lord, you know, essentially open heaven. After a person has died, and he's lost every possession, he's lost every penny, he's lost every wealth on earth, after death, it's all gone, there's nothing. He doesn't have access to his bank account, he doesn't have a wallet, he doesn't have credit cards. And after death, he's standing there naked with nothing. And he doesn't want to lose his soul. And he's pleading for his soul. And Christ asks the question, What are you going to give in exchange for your soul? What have you he got? He's got nothing. He's died. He has nothing to give in exchange for his soul from being cast into hell. That's the force of Christ's question in verse 26. Verse 26, What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? He's got nothing. We were just in breaking of bread time. Ken was bringing it up. What does a believer have? When he's standing there naked, his wounds shall plead for me. What Jesus said is not lay it up Lay up for yourself treasures in heaven. He's got treasures in heaven. He's got wounds pleading for him, for the believer. That's what he has. But the person who has not spent his life laying up treasures in heaven, person who's lived for self, person who didn't come to Christ he cannot claim that his wounds are pleading for him. What's he got? And that's Jesus' question in verse 26. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What you got? Now the Lord further adds in verse 27, verse 27, for the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and he shall reward every man according to his works. So again, in order to persuade people to choose Christ, don't be a fool. Choose Christ, the Lord says, the Son of Man shall come. The Son of Man shall come. The issue was always with Jesus, was making all those demands to follow him, forsake the world. People looked at Jesus and said, he doesn't look so mighty. He doesn't look so mighty. Looks like a person who's trying to avoid being captured by the the Jewish leaders that want to destroy him. He looks like a defenseless lamb. It was a question. Where's his authority? What's his authority to make all these claims about priorities of men's people's lives? And that's a question of the Pharisees and Sadducees in Matthew 21 23, Matthew 21, 23, when he was coming into the temple, the chief priests, the elders of the people came up to him as he was teaching and said, by what authority doest thou these things and who gave this authority? Can you picture that? He is there teaching the people that they should, don't be a fool and lose your soul. He's teaching them, follow me, let the bed bury the dead. He's teaching along these subjects. I don't know what he was saying at the time, but it was, you know, it had to be something along these tones. And all of a sudden, he's in the middle of a seat. He gets interrupted by his people. I, who gave you that authority? How can you say those things? Situation very similar to Moses and Pharaoh in Exodus 5.1. Exodus 5.1, afterward, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. Who's Moses? You do not look so mighty standing before mighty Pharaoh. Moses had to run for his life out of Egypt. Moses was a despised shepherd on some a backside of some nobody-knows-where desert. But was Moses to tell Pharaoh that he needed to release his whole Jewish workforce just because Moses said, well, God claims that those Jewish people are his children. you got to let his children go. And so the exact <laughs> same response of Moses as the scribes-pharisees interrupting Jesus, Pharaoh, exact same response of Pharaoh in Exodus 5.2, Exodus 5.2, Pharaoh said, who's the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. So Pharaoh's response is, who is he that I should obey him? And the Lord's servant, you don't look very impressive. And so Pharaoh had that choice. Pharaoh could have decided to come to Jehovah Jesus. He could have, as he was, as we all are, dirty, rotten sinners, in need of forgiveness, in need of cleansing. Or he could make another choice, which is what he did. Who's the Lord that I should obey him? That's what he did. He decided to take that other route. Who is he? Until he didn't know who he was. He didn't know who he was dealing with, with God, until he got into the middle of the Red Sea. Then he knew. Pharaoh learned who the Lord was in Exodus 14.25, Exodus 14.25, It came to pass that in the morning watch, the Lord looked unto the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and of the cloud, and troubled the host of Egyptians, and took off their chariot wheels that they drave them heavily, so that the Egyptians said, Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians. See, in the palace, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord? And then Pharaoh answered his own question when he was in the Red Sea. In Exodus fourteen twenty-five, Exodus fourteen twenty-five, when he said, "Let us flee from the face of Israel, for the Lord fighteth for them against the Egyptians." Question: Who is the Lord? Answer: The Lord fights for the Jewish people. That's who he is. That's who the Lord is—the fighter for Israel. When Pharaoh learned that he with that it was too late for Pharaoh. It was too late. Imagine the shock of Pharaoh when he realized it was all true. It was all true. They are his children, and now. He's at war with me. This is what the Lord Jesus is doing in verse 27. He's saying, I don't want it to be too late for you. And this question, who is Jesus? We're really still on the question, who is Jesus? And the answer is, Jesus is the mighty God who's going to come in the glory of God with his angels to be the final judge of man. That's what this verse is saying. He's going to review every man's life and every man's life is going to be concluded in Romans 3.23, Romans 3.23, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And since all have sinned, the reward for every man will be condemnation in hell as a punishment, except for those who receive God's gift of the mercy and grace in the death of the Lord Jesus for sins. That's the only escape route. It's the only escape from hell. And so what the Lord Jesus is doing here, it is telling them in advance, John 5, John 5, The Father judgeth no man, but he committed all judgment unto the Son that all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which is sent him. And so the Lord said, what's going to happen? He says in Matthew 25, 31, Matthew 25, 31, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he shall sit on well the throne of his glory and before him shall be gathered all nations and he shall separate them one from another as a shepherd divided the sheep from the goats. And he shall say to the sheep on his right hand, but unto the goats on the left, then shall the king say unto them on his right hand, come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. From the foundation of the world, verse 41, 25, 41, Matthew 25, 41. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, depart from me, you cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. He's telling them why they should deny themselves, why they should take up the cross, because he's going to be the final judge. He's despised, he's rejected. People say to those who speak for Christ, stand up for God, shame on you. He says, wear the star, take up the cross. Now we can picture as the Lord is doing this, he's looking around, he sees three people standing there and he says about them in verse 28, verse 28, verily I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. He said they're going to see three people. He says they're going to see Christ coming in his kingdom. And his kingdom is described in Luke 9 27. Luke 9 27. They shall not taste of death till they see the kingdom of God. So his kingdom is the kingdom of God. Mark tells us more. Mark tells us more in Mark 9 1 till they have seen the kingdom of God come with power. They're going to see with power. Next chapter we're going to come to is that happening on the Mount of Transfiguration. This is what the Lord is talking about. And he says that. These people, these three people, he's talking about. It's so interesting in verse twenty-eight how the Lord describes the death of followers of His followers. He says in verse twenty, He says they shall not taste of death. That's interesting. Not taste of death. He tasted death, all right. He tasted death. He did. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. Psalm twenty-two, fifteen. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue cleaved to my jaws. Thou hast brought me into the dust of death. You can taste death. A dust. You can taste it. And death has a smell. Death has a taste. He says, he brought me into the dust of death. When his follower died, he says he'll taste it. Only taste. Only taste. Don't eat it. You taste something. You like it. You don't like it. No. And that's why my Israeli cardiologist, he says to me, Tom, you got to lose weight. He says, Tom, don't eat. Just taste. He says. <laughs> when a follower of Christ dies, he doesn't eat the whole meal. He just tastes. He tastes the death. He goes, on, let's pray. Father, thank you so much that you've made it so that we only have to taste and not eat because Christ died for us. In Jesus' name, amen. Another wonderful day
1: studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened to and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org.